Dear friends in Jesus Christ, today we're focusing on three ways to live as Christians. As we do that, we're in Micah chapter 6, and here's the situation going on. So the people of Israel, they are in a bad situation, and God is calling them to repent. God is calling them to return to their trust in him rather than trusting in themselves, rather than trusting in false gods, rather than trusting in anything else. And then once they return to him, he is calling them to honor him with their lives by living in particular ways. We always want to make sure that we have the right order on that. God is calling us to be right with him, and from that right relationship with him comes a desire that God works within us to want to know his way and go his way in our lives unto his glory. Going to our text now in this first section, the Lord is laying out his case against the people. You could think about it a little bit like a courtroom setting. And as I read the first two verses here, try to identify who the jury is. Who are the ones who are hearing this testimony that the Lord is bringing against his people? The Bible says, hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. Because the Lord has a case against his people, even with Israel, he will dispute. For the people back then and for us today, we're all living within God's creation. So even though we might think we're out like somehow away from God and doing whatever, God is aware. We could say that God has all of his eyewitnesses. We're living right among them. We're living right in the creation, and God's aware of everything. He wanted the people back then to know that. He wants us to know that too. There's no doing things in secret. God knows not only what we're doing on the outside, but God knows the intent of, of what we're doing on the inside. So he knows the why of what we say and what we do and so on. So God is calling us to be right on the inside. Going further here, what the Lord is going to do is he's going to point out some of the amazing blessings that he has showered upon these people. In other words, the idea is because God has blessed them so much, they should be responding in particular ways, but the thing is, they're not. So the Lord is speaking here to the people, and we come to verse 3 now, and he says, My people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Answer me. So the Lord is kind of saying, hey, if I've messed up here, let me know. But of course, we know that's not the case. The Lord is perfect in everything. And then he says to them, indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So think about the situation with Jacob and his family. They go into Egypt to escape the famine. They have a great situation because of the high position of Joseph and so on. 
But after some generations pass, now these people who are becoming more and more numerous in Egypt, the Pharaoh is concerned, so he decides to enslave them. So they end up being enslaved for hundreds of years. I mean, slavery would be difficult for a short time, wouldn't it? But imagine generation after generation, hundreds of years in slavery. And then what did the Lord do at the proper time? Then he set them free. Shouldn't they be living with like great thanksgiving, like for generations to come, because now they're free from slavery? Yet that wasn't the case. And then in verse 5, he said, My people, remember now what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam son of Beor answered him. So what had happened there? Balak hired Balaam to curse the people of Israel. So he hired him to do it and Balaam, he said he would do it, but he's ready to speak the curse. And what does God do? God forces him to speak a blessing. These were important, powerful things. So many other things here could be mentioned as well. Let me touch on just one more here. So the text says, and from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. So what is he talking about there? Well, if we think about where the people were camped there in the book of Joshua, they were camped near Shittim, so Moses has now died. Joshua is leading the people. They're camped there on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and they're about ready to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. Isn't it such an awesome thing when those who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, as soon as their feet touch the water of the Jordan, the Lord stops the water from flowing? Now, we're not talking about an ice jam or anything like that. It is all the Lord doing it. He stops the water from flowing. And then we have millions of people cross over that dry riverbank of the Jordan. And as soon as they are across, oh, the water is flowing again. So God gave them this great way to be able to cross over. And where do they camp at? They camp there at Gilgal on the other side of the Jordan, right near Jericho, because what is the next step then? God is going to give them the great city of Jericho. Now understand, just like the great city of Sodom that was located on the eastern side of the Jordan, Jericho, located on the western side of the Jordan, is also a great, great fortified city with a double wall all the way around the city. Well, you know that story. It's such a crazy thing with all the marching and all the silence and so on. But God gives them that city. We could go on and on all the amazing things that God had done for them. So now maybe the people are thinking about it a little bit more. Oh, that's right. The Lord has done some awesome things for us. So then someone asks what the Lord requires. In verse 6 it says, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Someone is realizing, oh, there are some amazing things here. So what is the proper response to the Lord? So now we have three different things here that are proposed. First of all, 
Shall I come to him with burnt offerings with yearling calves? Now, is that halfway a good idea? It is because the Lord commanded that very thing in Leviticus chapter 9, and yet that is not what the Lord wanted. Do you know what he wanted? He wanted them to have repentant hearts. He didn't want them to do something on the outside. He wanted them to have a true change on the inside. And then coming to verse 7, here's another option. Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams in 10,000 rivers of oil? So now we're getting to really an extreme sacrifice here. Now, if you go back to the time of King Solomon when he dedicated the temple, I think there were 120,000 lambs that he offered as a sacrifice. There were some great, huge sacrifices offered, but is that what the Lord wanted from the people? Again, he did not. He wanted them to have truly repentant hearts. Think about the difference between these things, these sacrifices of unbelievable proportion, but yet a repentant heart is more precious to the Lord than taking all of your wealth and giving it to the congregation so the congregation might reach more people for Christ. That repentant heart is what is most important. That's what God wants for all of us. And then finally, even to go to a greater extreme here than offering animal sacrifices, shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So, okay, Lord, I know I've messed up here. Should I sacrifice my children to you? Is that what you want? Now, the Lord never ever wants that. But of course, there were many people back then who were offering their children as sacrifice to false gods. What a terrible, sad thing. Don't we have similar in the world today, even as we come to the topic of abortion, that is really sacrificing your children to a false belief, to a false god. So very similar. But the Lord never wanted that, though. Again, what did he want from the people? He wanted truly repentant hearts. That's what he wants from you and me as well, truly repentant hearts. And then coming to the third part here, Micah summarizes the Lord's requirements. In other words, when we have that repentant heart, what should flow from it then? So in verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now understand, none of that is just to be on the outside, but it is to come from that truly repentant heart. What can be said about the Lord's requirements? Well, first of all, these requirements were never given for the purpose of us earning favor with God, nor to somehow be able to cover over our own sins. Never for that purpose did God say such things. And then let's keep in mind that the Lord, because he loves us so much, he sent his son to step into our 
place, to put on our shoes in a sense, to be our perfect substitute in living a life that had absolutely no sin at all. And then when he was hanging on the cross in excruciating pain, excruciating physical pain, what did God the Father do? Then at that point, he took all of our sins He made them the sins of Jesus. And then, if that wasn't enough, what did he do but pour out all of his eternal wrath upon his son? So he lived the perfect life, but then he took every ounce of eternal punishment. He absorbed all of that. He could only do it because he is the very son of God in human flesh. For all of us, it's easy to think that, oh, I know I sinned, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and certainly God must know about all of that, and I'm kind of feeling uneasy about that, but God wants us to know so clearly of who Jesus is, of what he has done, and he wants us to know how thoroughly we are forgiven in the sight of God. Remember, we are holy ones. We are saints. Even if we don't feel like that, let's look into the Bible and know that is how God addresses us. That is what God calls us, not because of any goodness in us, but all because of the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So repentant hearts are essential. And when we have repentant hearts, what's going to be true of us? Well, we are going to be believing the Bible is true. We are going to be in a situation where we are admitting our sins. We're not going to be like Adam and Eve, Adam blaming Eve, Eve blaming the serpent. We're going to admit our sins. We're going to take responsibility for them. God is going to be working sorrow within our hearts for those sins. We are going to be turning from them with the power of God, knowing they are not pleasing to God. We are going to be trusting in Jesus, not in him plus us, but in him alone for eternal life. With repentant hearts, we're going to be so thankful that we have forgiveness, that there is peace. In other words, we have God here, I'm here, and there was great separation because of the sin. There was no peace. But now that the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world, and God has given me that great benefit by grace through faith, now the sin has been removed, and now there is a right relationship between God and me and between God and you because of the work of Jesus. And finally, we're going to want to know and follow the will of God. So these are all things that are connected to a repentant heart. May God keep working in us to keep making us repentant and keep making all of these things true within us from the inside out. Finally, at the end here, going to our text again, simple ways to honor the Lord. First of all, by doing justice. What does that mean? Doing what is right, doing what is fair, doing what is honest. How can we figure out what those things are? Look in the Bible. It has all kinds of information on how to do justice. And then, love kindness. 
So kindness, another word for kindness is mercy. When someone does something against us, it's typical that the old nature wants to rise up and do something bad against that person. But what does it mean to be merciful? It means to hold back the bad that that person deserves and instead show the love of God to that person. It's going to be very unexpected. People are going to think, what's wrong with us for doing that? But yet, it's going to show them the love of God. It's even going to point them to God's love for us through his son. And then the final one here, walk humbly with our God. If we are arrogant, we are trusting in ourselves. When we are humble, we know that we can't do it, but we know that with God, all things are possible, so we are trusting in him. Those are some basic ways that God wants us to go through life. And let's keep in mind, they're all coming from that important, repentant heart that God has worked within us. And then from that repentant heart are going to come all kinds of things that are going to honor God, that are going to be in agreement with his word, and are going to bring even a blessing to others as we live according to God's will. Let us pray. Dear Lord, long ago, as we think about what the text said today, we know you were so good to Israel. Even in our lives, we know you have been so good to us, and we just thank you so very much. However, though, as Israel wavered and many fell away, you know that we are being tempted day by day to move in the same direction. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would keep working true repentance in our hearts. And then from that repentant heart, move us, move us gladly, move us powerfully by the Holy Spirit to then do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you, our great God and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.